John chapter 5, this is the uh, healing of Bethesda at Bethesda. And um, I'm going to read verses 1 through 18. I pray you'll follow along. After these things, verse 1, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticles. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. Verse 5, a man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been a long time in that condition. He said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? Verse 13, but the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. May God add his blessing on the reading of his word. Amen. Now this passage is amazing because it shows us several things about Jesus. And if you're writing, this will be a nice little four points, I think, that you'll be able to, to take with you as you go. But it shows us several things about Jesus. And um, we, we need to dwell and think on that in, in spite of Jesus' power. There continues to be massive needs in his day and in our day today. And that is, that is, a, that is a difficult thing for a lot of people when they see that Jesus can and does everything because he is all-powerful, why is there such hurt? Why is there such need? Why is there such brokenness? Why is there such sin, disease, calamity, and death in our universe? And the setting here gives us, I think, a perspective on that in who Jesus is. Now, in verse 1, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus was, was, went up to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate is a pool, and in Hebrew it's called Bethesda, which means place of mercy, place of mercy, which is ironic as you look at this story. And there's these five uh, porticos or these pools, and in and around these pools are multitudes of people who are blind, lame, withered, paralyzed, 
and there was one man that stood out to Jesus. And as I was uh, dwelling on this passage on our vacation, and I had gone into several pools and oceans and different places, I, we, we went out to uh, some beach my parents took us to. I'm not really a beach guy, as people who know me, but I went to the beach. And what was interesting was we went early, and there was not a lot of people there. And we could almost identify every person around us. Oh, here's this guy, he's fishing, and here's this, this couple taking their young kid to the, the beach. But then by midday, it's just a, a mass of humanity. And we just, I, I didn't even bother stopping to try to think about what everybody's, it's just everybody's at the beach, they're doing something, whatever, you know. I'll just look at the dolphins. And you get lost at sort of the multitude in life. And I think that's why sometimes we keep the power of Christ to ourselves because it's like there's just too much for me to really know where to go and what to do. But Jesus went into this multitude of people who were specifically desperate and hurting in the most horrible ways sick and lame and blind and paralyzed and he just finds one person i think that's something that we need to take into consideration we focus on what we can't do oftentimes god just says what can you do? who can you extend my love to and uh, so as we begin this story and this sermon I'm going, to, I'm going to give you three observations. These are not the points, but three observations, and we're going to get into four things that uh, tell us about Jesus and about us in response to that. Number one, Jesus is back in Jerusalem, and he makes a point to go to this pool. And I think, I think this is something that we just have to reflect on. Jesus is drawn to the hurting. That's who he is. He is drawn to where there is massive need. And you see that over and over again in scripture, scripture because he goes to this pool. He didn't have to go to this pool. He could have gone anywhere else. He could have walked around. He could have said, there's just a lot of people there. It's going to be a big commotion if I go in there and start healing. He could have found somebody on the wayside or side of the road. He could have done anything. But he went to this place to see this massive need. And in verse... Three and four, you'll notice some parentheses probably around your, your uh, uh, passage here. The parentheses are because the earliest manuscripts did not have this in there. And, and I think that some people are confused. Why was there so many people gathered in this one place? And so this is filled in for us. And it says, they're waiting for the moving of the water. So apparently there was maybe a superstition. Maybe there was a belief that this actually happened. Nobody really knows for sure. But what was happening was they believed an angel of the Lord came in during this season into the pool, would stir up the water, and the first one into the pool would be healed of whatever uh, illness they have. So, so somebody put that in this because without understanding that context for what God's Word is telling us, you might be like, why are all these people gathered at these pools? They're, they're gathered because... There was a competition going on. I almost called this message the power of compassion versus competition. There was a competition going on, which is almost a tragedy in itself, that people who are crippled, blind, lame, paralyzed, sick, are beating each other up to be the first in the pool. And so it's t it tells us that, that uh, 
that there was a competition going on, and when Jesus arrives, he changed the competition to compassion. And then the third observation of this is, is just simply the multitude. There's a crowd here, and what is going on in how Jesus handles the crowd, goes away from the crowd, and how he pursues his people. So, uh, as we get to this point, I wanted to see uh, the first main thing is verse 5. A man was there in this multitude who had been ill for 38 years. Uh, raise your hand if you are under the age of 38 in the room. All right. Wait, we've probably got at least a third of the people here. Uh, raise your hand if you're over 38. All right, we've probably got two-thirds or more. Raise your hand if you are 38. Hmm, that's a shame. Who's closest to 38? We've got 37, 36, 40. What do you got? 30, 37. All right, you didn't think I'd call out your age today. So 37 years. So in other words, more than your whole life, you would have been ill if you were this person. So it's a a massive amount of time to remain ill. And we don't know uh, much about this person at all other than he was at this pool probably because he wanted to get well. Probably, you know, you're, you're living with something for 38 years you're in a place where there may be a person healed if they're first in the pool. You're going you're gonna to be there. And maybe he's been there year after year or season after season when this happened. And obviously, he was never first into the pool. But he'd been there 38 years. And it's hard to even imagine being sick for 38 years and just hoping that God one day is going to get you into that pool or you're going to get into that pool quick enough to have all your health problems go away. It's a sad reality that he's amongst other people who are sick and hurting, but he's been ill for 38 years. And verse 6, Jesus sees him. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew he'd been there a long time in that condition. In the Shawshank Redemption, Morgan Freeman's character is in prison. And he has a chance to get paroled from prison after he'd been there about 40 years. And he says to one of his friends, I don't know if I want that. I've been here most of my life. Besides, these prison walls are funny. First you're afraid of them, then you get used to them. After a while, you start relying on them. I don't know if I can make it on the outside. This man had been there 38 years And as Jesus comes into this story, we get a beautiful first point of what Jesus does. He knows everything. Number one, when you see this passage, you realize Jesus already knows. Some people are really good at covering up what is wrong with them, aren't they? You probably know people who, wow, I never knew that was going on. This is a little side, probably shouldn't even mention it, but my parents aren't here. There's always been a rumor in our family that my dad was in love with some French girl before my mom. Apparently, she's not French. 
I learned that this trip. There was never a French girl. She was British. My mom just thought she was French. And so we're in the house, and they're telling this story. And I'm like, wait a minute. We've always heard there's this French girl. And my dad's like, no, your mom just thought I just let it go. And we didn't know that. And then we learned other things just sitting around talking with my dad that, that you know, we didn't even realize from when we were kids. Certainly. He was going to move to Germany for two years when I graduated from high school. He never told us that. He never mentioned that to us. My dad had an art of just keeping whatever he wanted to himself. If I would have known when I was going to college he was going to take the rest of the family and move to Germany, you know, I would have maybe been able to know how to pray for him, how to pray for the family and you know, deal with that. But he didn't. And a lot of people are like that. We just keep things to ourselves. And then we, we just, I guess, either don't want people to know or we don't, uh, we don't think it's important enough for people to know. Jesus knows. Jesus knows every infirmity we have. Jesus knows every spiritual need we have. Jesus knows our obstinance. Jesus knows our hurt. Jesus knows everything. That is who Jesus is. <clears throat> and when he comes up on this scene, Jesus sees him lying there. He didn't have to say, how long have you been here? He knew, he knew this man had been there for a long time in that condition. <clears throat> and just like Morgan Freeman's character in this movie, do you really want to get out of prison? Do you want to get well? To me, it's the most absurd question. <clears throat> Jesus knows. Jesus also knows whether this person really wants to get well or not. And he asks him the questions, do you wish to get well? To me, it's just an obvious, yeah, I'm here because I want to get well. <clears throat> Excuse me. But that's not what the sick man answers, is it? The sick man answered him, not yes. He said, sir, I don't have anyone to put me into the pool. When the water stirred up, somebody steps down over me or after me and before me, and I can't get into the pool. I think... Uh, Jesus knows our excuses. Jesus knows our excuses. I was, this is a little open question, the video that the Dominicans sent me was 13 minutes long, believing in their hearts that in America, there's always time for 13 minutes of glorious blessings from the Lord, not understanding that most Americans want to get out on time because we have excuses We've got to be at lunch. Why are we going to stay in church longer? We, you know, I, I, we have other things. Jesus knows our excuses. He knows our heart. We don't have to give him excuses. He knows our excuses. <clears throat> and I was wrestling with that. I was like, how am I going to show a 13-minute video? Okay, I'll cut down the sermon to like 10 minutes. That was fine with me. But Jesus knows our excuses. Jesus knows exactly those answers we give him as to why we're not going to completely live in his grace. And instead of saying, yes, I'm here because I want to get well, he says, you know, the reason is because I don't have anybody really strong enough, quick enough, fast enough, good enough to push me in the water fast enough. And in front of him is Jesus, the strongest, quickest, fastest man that's ever been because he's God. He could have used superpower strength and just shot him into the water. Look, you're first now because you got me. That's not how this, this miracle takes place, is it? He comes and says, I don't have somebody to put me into the pool. 
And Jesus, in his knowledge and in his goodness, simply does it a different way. It with compassion. Second point here is our compassion versus mercy. As Jesus knew his condition and he saw him lying there, he was moved with compassion. This is one of the things that we have to understand about Jesus. Jesus doesn't just know, but he cares. He doesn't just know what hurts we're going through. He cares deeply. And that is why Jesus is drawn to this person, because he sees him in that condition and cares and knows, do you want to get well? And when he says, I don't have anybody to get put in the pool, he's like, I'm not going to take or accept that excuse, because he has compassion. He goes towards him, and he responds to his need. After the excuse, Jesus simply says, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately, the man is healed. Immediately. It wasn't like any point in time. Immediately, the man gets well, picks up his pallet, and begins to walk. And at least nine times in the Gospels, it says Jesus was moved with compassion. He is a compassionate God. He cares. We have no business trying to hide our stuff from our God. He knows already, and he cares. We might as well just give it to him. And with one another, there's no real reason we should be hiding what's going on, what hurts we have with one another, because Jesus' compassion should be within each of us to care about one another. And as that happens, miraculous things follow. Immediately, this man who had been ill for 38 years was well. And he just started walking off. Here's an interesting part about this story. He had no idea who Jesus was. None. I don't even think Jesus introduced himself. We were in the Dominican training. Or no, where were we at where I was making people introduce themselves? Oh, at the, at the uh, vision team breakfast, right? Terry got mad at me. I was like, introduce yourself before you talk. And she's like, quit interrupting me. It got a little ugly there for a little while, but we're okay. Jesus didn't come up, I'm Jesus, the Son of God, and because of that, immediately you're well, go. There was just some guy who went right, Jesus went right to him, talked to him very shortly, saw, had compassion on him, knew everything about him, healed him, he walked off. It's an interesting point in this story, but Jesus cares. Regardless of whether you think or whether you know or whether you understand who Jesus is, Jesus cares and he extends his mercy all over the place. Those who do not know Jesus, those who do not have an interest in Jesus, Jesus cares about them. And he does miraculous things in their lives and they don't even understand who is really doing anything to them or for them. They, they credit themselves. And in this story, that's the, the the crux, that's the, that's the dilemma here. Competition was built so that the winner gets healed. The one who is best of a sea of invalids and sick. The one who's best or has the best 
people around him to get in the boat. That's the one who wins. So really, in this story, winning is losing. Because even if you are first in the pool and you get healed, you think it's because of something you did, something you merited. And that's what I think a lot of people are. Great things happen to people in this world all the time. And they're like, well, it's because I am a really good person because I deserve it, because I'm doing really great things, not understanding that God is at the heart of everything. And so they don't give the credit to where credit's due. So whether you lose in this situation at the pool, you're not going to get healed uh, because you've been put into a place of competition where it just feels like you're going to lose anyway. If you win, you're going to be like, thank goodness I had really quick friends or whatever it might be. Jesus' compassion shows us that what we receive from him is not about us. It's about his concern for us. He deeply cares. And in his care, he exerts point number three, his power. He knows everything. He cares about everything. And he is all powerful. His knowledge of us is complete. His compassion for us is great. And his power is immediate and sovereign. Jesus just said, get up, take your pallet, and walk. And he just started walking. He didn't turn around and ask, oh, yeah, what's your name? He just walked on. Jesus' power is a part of what we see in Jesus in this story so clearly that he just does things because he is a good, good father, a good, good savior. Jesus is a good God. Heals this man walks out as a person who's been 38 years ill, walks out clean and well, and just been given the power of Jesus. He had no idea who this guy was. And the story turns here. Is it going to turn away from Jesus' power into this whole back part of verse 9? Now it was the Sabbath on this day. We all know how this happens in Scripture. Whenever something miraculous happens with Jesus on the Sabbath, everybody gets all upset at Jesus because he did something on the Sabbath. Or somebody here in this game is picking up their pallet on the Sabbath, and they're not supposed to be doing that. But that's not how John or God lets this story go. This story continues to affirm the power of Jesus, not the, oh, he did something bad on the Sabbath. Look at what happens here. It was on the Sabbath. The Jews see this man who's cured, and he says, it's not permissible for you to be walking with your pallet. But he answered them. And he said, there's one who made me well. And he said, get up and walk. Pick up your pallet and walk. And you can imagine if it's between these grumbling Jews who are complaining about this or the guy who's healed you from 38 years of being unwell, which one are you going to listen to? You're going to listen to the one who just healed you. You're going to, I'll carry my pallet, let them complain later. He picks up his pallet, he goes, and he puts the, he puts the story right back on Jesus is the one who had the power. Somebody, he didn't know it was Jesus at the time, but somebody else did this. This is not me being a bad guy. And then they asked him in verse 12, who is this man? Who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But look at verse 13. The man who was healed didn't know who it was. Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. All kinds of conjecture about why Jesus slipped away. Uh, and the more you think about this story, it's like, and why he just picked one person? 
mighty, so much need, so much compassion for the Son of God to have on people. He picked this one person, heals them without giving his name, and just slips out of the crowd. Why did he do that? Does this mean he just didn't really care that much? It's the opposite of what we just saw there. Jesus withdrew, maybe because he didn't want to create a ruckus by everybody else coming to him, and it just becomes pandemonium. Or maybe he wanted to teach him and us something really, really important about who he is. And so you see here, uh, as, as we talk about the power of Jesus, Jesus slipped away. Verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him. It's not really how it should be, right? If it was me and this guy didn't know heal me, I'm going to spend my life. Who was that man? Who was that? I'm going to seek him out. I'm going to run around looking for him. I'm going to do whatever it takes to figure out how I've been made well when I was ill, right? That's not, that's not what Jesus did here. Jesus pursued this guy. Here, here's, here's, a, here's a truth, a side truth. Jesus pursues you every day in every way. Jesus is massively in love with you, and he is after you, and he wants you to know his power. He wants you to know his compassion. He wants you to know his grace, and he is doing stuff in your life all the time because he's there. And most people just kind of walk around, and wonder what God's doing in my life. Jesus pursues us. He pursued after this man. Why did he pursue after this man? You can see as we, as we look more into what Jesus did. Afterward, Jesus found him in the, in the temple, which I think is pretty interesting. The man went to the temple. Jesus goes and finds him in the temple and said to him, Behold, look, you have become well. Don't sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. This is a really important truth for us to understand that many people are receiving God's blessings all the time and they take it as just earthly gain and they don't see the eternal perspective of what God does for us. I can't even imagine, you know, 38 years, there's something worse. There's something worse, man. If you take this healing and you continue to sin and continue a lifestyle that does not glorify God, something worse is going to happen to you. And that's what people don't understand today, is these people who seem to have everything going for them, if they don't repent of their sin, if they don't turn to God and do what God has them to do, something really bad is going to happen. And the Bible calls that judgment. Judgment is going to happen to every single person. We are going to spend eternity in hell, or we're going to spend eternity in heaven. And trust me, hell is much worse than 38 years of suffering. We have to respond to the goodness of Jesus' power by saying, there's a reason you did something in my life. And it's so that I can go and share your compassion and sin no more. And you see that here. Don't sin because something worse could happen to you than 38 years of being ill. And look at what happens. Verse 15, the man went away, told the Jews it was Jesus. They were asking, who was this man? Who did this? He's like, I don't know. Jesus pursues him. He finds him and says, 
you better start talking about me now because I love you so much that I gave you this healing not just so your body could be healed, but you could have faith and internal. And he said, okay, I'm going to go find those Jews and tell them it was Jesus. He went away, told the Jews it was Jesus who had made him well. I went and heard a sermon a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I don't know, it was a 20-minute sermon maybe. And what stood out to me was, it wasn't here, it wasn't here. What stood out to me was the pastor didn't mention the name of Jesus one time. Not once. He went around as slyly and craft, craftily as he could, as shrewdly. He, he would not mention the name Jesus, even though he was preaching from the Bible. And it was just so strange to me. When you are healed, when you are given the grace of Christ, you have to tell people it's Jesus. You can't say, eh, it's God. Whatever God you want to believe in, that's, that's it. It's Jesus. Jesus is the reason we have received grace. The man found out who it was, and he said, it's Jesus that healed me. He made me well. And the rest of the passage is, is what we think it's going to be. For this reason, the Jews are going to persecute Jesus. Jesus was okay with that because the man wanted to be faithful to what Jesus had done for him. He could have been like, yeah, I don't want to get that guy in trouble because, you know, they seem to be really upset about what Jesus did, so I'll just not tell him it's Jesus. He said, it's Jesus, and Jesus was okay with that. You, in the same way, and I cannot be ashamed of the name of Jesus. We cannot be embarrassed to say the name of Jesus any and every time we need to because Jesus is okay with taking the heat and he is okay with his people being persecuted or having to stand boldly and courageously for him today. Fourth thing, point four, is you were healed for holiness. The power of compassion is for your life to be holy. Holiness is a pursuit to be like Christ, to imitate Christ. And if you've been given even a glimpse of the power of Jesus, and your life isn't consumed with the holiness of God, then you've got a problem. If you've been touched by Jesus, your life is to be lived in the power of Christ. Now, as Easter comes, there's some real important implications here as we close. I think mainly is we live in a time where there is so much pain. Just like then, people hurt, people struggle, people deal with illness all the time. And in this story, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, you need to be that man. When you get touched by the grace of Christ, you need to be the person to tell people about Jesus. You need to extend the power of compassion to people around you. It might be one person, it might be many people, but you have no business keeping that to yourself because the cross and the resurrection are real. And in this life, healing is going to be Earthly healing is going to be sometimes or maybe very, very infrequent for some people. They're going to, we're going to live with pain and hurt. But in Jesus, there's going to be a resurrection. 
and we're all going to spend eternity healed from our hurt. That's what we tell people. That's why this person was given compassion. Not, Jesus could have healed every single person at the pool, but he's giving us a model by which saying there's more important things than physical healing, and you need to tell the world about the eternity that Jesus has for you and the judgment apart from him. The cross and the resurrection is not for us to say, boy, I'm just glad Jesus saved me and rose for me. It's so that we can say to the world that you might be really hurting, but the resurrection is hope that is infathomable. Jesus left hundreds of people at the pool, and he told one man, he healed one man, and that man didn't even believe in him all the time, was healed, woke up and started talking about Jesus. Pursuing holiness in a time of brokenness is what we are. That's what the church is. We have to live that out in the power of his resurrection, in the compassion that he shared with us before he returns. And then it's going to be too late. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, your great love. We thank you for your goodness and your compassion. Thank you for this story in uh, your word that convicts us <clears throat> in every way. God, we pray that we would not be people who just see this as a powerful story. But God, put us into this story so that we can be the person who understands how much you have done for us. You have, you have given us your word. You've given us your truth. You've given us your life. And you are the reason we live and we breathe. So God, I pray that for each person here who's living with hurt, who knows people who are living with pain, I pray that they would extend your compassion on them and they'd be healed. But if not, God, I pray that your eternity and your hope for eternity would be what resonates most. God, we know suffering is going to be around us all the time. We know there's going to be brokenness all around us, but we also know that there is an end to that brokenness when you return and you gather your people. So God, I pray that we understand the power of your compassion. We were healed so that we can share your goodness with the world around us. Make us holy, God. Make us set apart. Make us different because we are that. We can't be the same in you. So God, I pray that we respond to you in a way that brings you honor this day. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.